If you're a guest, uh, you should know my name is Russell, and I'm the pastor of Neartown Church. This is a church that is new in the city. We're less than a year old, but in two weeks, we celebrate our one-year anniversary, which is really very exciting. We've seen some incredible things happen. One of the things I'm most thankful for is the kind of people God is bringing on mission with us, and we've seen God bring uh, people, some of whom are really new to the faith, and some of whom have walked with Jesus for many years, all of whom care deeply about what God is doing in the world. And um, one of the things that that happens as a part of uh, Neartown Church is people have an opportunity to be generous with their resources, and that is... Uh, translates into uh, many of our people give regularly from the first fruits of what they earn with their jobs. It's called a tithe or an offering. And, uh, and one of the things we get to do with that is be a blessing to people that are in the neighborhoods around us and then also uh, be a blessing to people that come on Sunday morning. And so the coffee you're drinking and the little snack that you're eating happens as a result of the generosity of the people of Neartown Church, which is really exciting. And so there are people that benefit from those goodies every single morning every single Sunday morning anyway, uh, that aren't even a part of our church, but I actually love it. I, I love it. I love that people come up and they feel comfortable enough of who we are to mooch our food. You know what I'm saying? And so just so you know, if you see someone out there grabbing something and they walk off, it's, that's completely okay. Don't try to stop them or, you know, whatever. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one so you can join us as we walk through the scripture. We have one just like this. It's the kind I teach from. Uh, it's, uh, and I'll give you the page number also. So if you have, do not have a Bible, just slip up your hand and Jonathan will bring you one and uh, make sure that you are on the right page. 836 is where we are if you're new to the Bible. Mark chapter 1, if you're more familiar with the Bible. Mark chapter 1, we're going to actually be talking about a number of scriptures and we're in this series called Perspective, where I began in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 with creation, and we, we've gotten the high points of the gospel narrative, the story of Scripture. And so now we're in the New Testament, just the second week in the New Testament. We get to look at the life of Jesus, and we get to consider this message, or his message and his miracles. And I want you to know that a struggle that I've had throughout the Scripture is that we've covered so much um, Bible in really a relatively short amount of time that I'm having to carry you through many uh, parts of the narrative fairly quickly. And so I hope that you're taking the opportunity to write down the verses I reference, and then when you get home during your own private time with the Lord, you're reading those verses and thinking carefully about them. Um, before I get into the message, I do want to just make you aware of something very, very important that's coming up. Uh, Easter. Give it up for Easter. Yeah, yeah. So we as a church are excited about Easter this year. We're actually going to have two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11 o'clock. Gives you an opportunity to come a little early and join your family for lunch if you'd like to, or, or come a little, sleep in a little bit and come a little later. Uh, we actually are, have produced these invite cards, which are for you to invite people. And so for those of you that are mission partners of Neartown Church, you might have heard us talk about you engaging unchurched people and people that you're being sent by God to minister to. So hopefully you're getting an opportunity to share meals with them during this month and in view of inviting them to our Easter service where we'll uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've made these uh, cards so that you can have a tool as you're inviting people to give to them. It gives them instructions 
and information on, on how to get to church. So I'll say more about that at the end, and we have some here today that you can take with you to begin passing out, okay? All right, well, let's pray together, and then we will uh, get into God's Word. God, we love you, and God, I just um, I think it's incredible to consider the way in which you work in our world. God, it's incredible to, to think about your, your work in creation and to look back at the fall and to, to think about he, how even in the midst of judgment, God, you made a promise to begin restoring through one who we now know is Jesus. And God, I just pray that today as we look at this life of Jesus, his message and take a glimpse at his miracles, God, that our view of who Jesus is would become more clear. Our devotion to him would become deep, God. And in response to it, we would live lives of gratitude to you and on mission with you, God. We love you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible says that many people recognized something special about Jesus from the time he was a baby. We talked about this last week. Some Jews even recognized and called him Christ the Lord, which meant he was sent by God. We believe that Jesus, as a man, was fully God. His divine nature is the very thing that made it possible for him to live a perfect, sinless life and connect us to God. But he was also fully man, which made it possible for him to identify with us and to connect us to God. As we've taken a view of the entire gospel narrative and gotten a perspective on who God is and who we are and what it, why it matters for our life, we've seen that God created but man rebelled, but God promised to restore. We've also noticed along the way that God's word can be trusted, which is why we consider his word so valuable during this time. We believe that the written word reveals the living word of God. Let me ask you a question as we begin thinking about this life of Jesus. Can you see God working in the world? We've seen him work in the narrative, in the scriptures. But can you see God working in the world today, in your own life, in your business, in your family? Can you see God working? It's an important question as we consider this man by the name of Jesus. I want you to know that in Jesus... God's promise to restore became flesh. This is, this is the main idea for today. In Jesus, God's promise to restore became flesh. It's, it's in Jesus, his message and his miracles, that we see God working in a new way to restore broken people and the broken earth. So as we get into considering the scripture about Jesus, would you stand to your feet because we're going to read together, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We stand together as we read God's word as an acknowledgement that God's word is important and can be trusted. So Mark chapter 1, just 14 and 15 is what we'll stand for today. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel 
of God. Now, the word gospel means good news. It's a message is what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Jesus has a message. His message is that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. The implication is, with my arrival comes the kingdom of God. For him to say that the kingdom of God had come meant that God was going to begin working in a new, in a different way. Now, it was not as if God just woke up suddenly and decided, i got to do something about the mess that's in our world. God had begun orchestrating the events of the world toward a place that had come. The time had come for Jesus, the Savior, to be born, to begin ministering and proclaiming a message of repentance and faith in Him as Lord. God was going to work in a new in different way. We, we know that no person could fulfill the law given to Israel. It was an impossible standard, and it set the stage for God to come in the flesh as Jesus. So when Jesus came, so did forgiveness. He began talking about this kingdom of God. You should know that the Bible says that to enter into the kingdom of God is like it is the same as entering into eternal life or to receive eternal life. So the gospel we preach, the message that we preach, the good news that we preach is the message of how one enters into the kingdom of God to receive eternal life. So you're going to have to wrap your minds around this today because this is, this is mysterious. There's something mysterious about this message of the kingdom of God. So look to your neighbor, kind of poke him in the yard, and you'll be like, okay, you're going to have to wake up. You're going to have to think about this. Do it. Okay, very good. Or the face. Jesse, I saw you poke him in the face. Um, so this, this message of the kingdom of God, and Jesus admits this mystery to it. I mean, it's here, but it's, it's going to be here. I mean, it's an already here, already present in my ministry and message in person, but it's not yet been consummated. So there's an already but not yet like ideas surrounding this message of the kingdom of God. And, but we know that God's working in a new way through Jesus. This is no ordinary man. Now, he, he talks about this kingdom of God, and the imagery of the king and kingdom might not be super familiar to us in our democratic society. Well, theoretically, democratic society. That's another message. Um, but but uh, you should know and just think about it that, that a king had rule over his kingdom, which meant he gave directions about things involved with his created uh, or, his, or his kingdom. It meant location, and it also had to do with his power to exercise whatever rule or authority over that area that he wanted to. A king had, was sovereign. He didn't have to answer to anybody. I mean, he was the boss. He didn't have to call a delegate and get people in on his ideas. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted to do it. A king was totally sovereign over his location, over his area. And so through Jesus, God is establishing his kingdom. 
he's going to begin exercising his sovereign rule. Now, God has always had sovereign rule up to this point. This is why he's orchestrating the events of history and revealing himself to Israel and giving him rules and, and holding back nations or letting nations come into Israel, depending on his sovereign will and what he wants to do. But, but, the, but it's different now. He's going to work differently now. It begins an era called sal- the Salvation Era, which begins salvation history. And He's going to exercise his rule over whatever territories, whatever lives he wants to in a different kind of a way. So when Jesus invited people, when Jesus came, he invited people to live in this kingdom through repentance and faith. So people could enter into this kingdom of God, which is the way in which God is working sovereignly in the world, through repentance and faith. For those who choose to follow Jesus, there is peace. For those who reject His kingship, there is punishment as a traitor. It's important to consider. I've already said that the the message we preach is how one enters into the kingdom. So you might ask, well, how, if you haven't caught it already, how does one enter into the kingdom of God? Why, Why wouldn't anybody want to be at peace with the king? called the child of God, in other words. Well, Jesus says, repent. John, who led the way and prepared the way for Jesus, had the same message. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. John says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What is repentance? Repentance is turning away from your plan. Turning away from your, your believing that you are the king of your little kingdom. Repentance is turning away from believing that anything other than Jesus as king is worth living for. We are to look to Jesus as king because he's the savior. And with repentance and faith, there is salvation. There's peace. Now, I want you to know that this message of the kingdom of God and receiving it through repentance and faith it's not something to be taken lightly. It requires a great cost. Now, guys like me in ministry, especially in new churches, are really tempted to water down the message of the kingdom of God because we want so many people to come and to be a part. And there is a sense in which it's very easy for you to enter into the kingdom because it's ultimately up to what God has done through Jesus Christ. And you must accept it. You must acknowledge it and accept it. But there's also a sense in Scripture which, in which the kingdom of God requires something great. Now, let's consider this. You know, when you recognize the value of something, you will give up a lot to receive it. Are any of you um, into art? Do any of you like like to go to the museum? Just raise your hand. Do you like to go to the museum and look at paintings? Just just even if you're not, raise your hand because people think you're really sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. I like to tell people that in the near town area is the largest privately owned art collection in the world. Did you know that? The Manil is. That's hmm? okay. It makes people think I'm really into art. And I actually like art. Uh, and the thing about art that's interesting is, is that 
if, if you don't know a lot about art, you might see something that doesn't seem like it has a lot of value. You might think, oh, it's not a big deal. So you wouldn't give up much to receive it. Like, consider this painting. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I don't think that painting is all that beautiful. How much would you pay for this painting? Five, five bucks, Tim. He's a medical student. He's intelligent. You're right. It's not very beautiful. It's, it's uh, maybe, maybe worth five dollars. Does anybody know anything about this painting? Raise your hand if you know something about this. Oh, you do. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. William de Kooning. What, what else do you know about it? Really? I did not know that. Sorry, dog. <laughs> yeah, so he painted six paintings. Uh, this is the third one. This is actually creatively called Woman Number 3. <laughs> um, this painting, to you and I, doesn't seem like it's worth very much. The value of it's low. We wouldn't pay very much for it, right? But somebody, a man by the name of Stephen Cohen, thought it was worth a lot and paid $137 million for it. That's right. And we have the original. In the no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> see, Stephen looked at this painting done by William de Kooning. Did I say it, Kooning? And he saw something in it that was worth $137 million dollars. He saw it as very valuable, so he gave up a lot to get it. We talk about the kingdom of God when people see the value of the kingdom of God. They're willing to give up much for it. You know the most valuable thing you possess is your life? A couple of parables that Jesus shares with his early listeners to describe the value of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven. Now, this is similar to, or it's exactly the kingdom of God, but it's written to Jews, and so rather than using the name God, he uses the name heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his great joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He gave up everything to find, to possess, to possess this field, and in this field is a great treasure. He knows its value, and so he's going to give up everything to receive it. The kingdom of God is very valuable. If you'll see it for its value, you will be willing to give up your life to enter into it. You must. Another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, the kingdom of God is valuable. And when you see it for its value, you see the value of entering into the presence of God on earth, experiencing the blessings of being a child of God on earth, at peace with the king of the kingdom on earth. When you see that, you'll be willing to give up your life for it. 
experientially. I don't know about you, but there are, there are a number of areas in my life where I'm casually involved. I've casually given up something to be a part of it, like, um, like Cub Scouts. So this is a little bit of a confession about my lackluster commitment to Cub Scouts. Did any of you grow up in the Cub Scouts or Brownies, Girl Scouts, whatever? So we're, we're a part of Cub Scouts, and, um, and I feel like I'm the kind of person that, that frustrates me sometimes in my church, you know, like the kind of person that says, yes, I want to be a part of Cub Scouts, but my commitment is only casual. I'm really not all that committed to it. I mean, if there's an inconvenience to attending, we won't go. If it requires a lot of studying and thinking, which, by the way, Cub Scouts does. They have their own manual Bible, if you will. And it has all these procedures and processes and steps. And you, to be a Cub Scout leader, you've got to go like to like Cub Scout Leader Seminary. And you've got to go online. And you, you've got to you've train. And I tried to do it, but I dropped out, actually, of Cub Scout Leader Graduate School Seminary. And, but but the, the reality is it doesn't really matter. It's Cub Scouts, right? I mean, you pick up some valuable things, but it's, the, the value of it is, is really temporary. It is. I mean, it does some good things. It teaches some morals, and, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it, the level we are. But it really doesn't bother me that we're not all that committed. But we talk about being a part of the kingdom of God and entering into the kingdom of God. You're entering into this organization where there's great power, there's great blessing, there's great joy, there's great peace. It's worth giving your life for, giving your life to. It's a mysterious thing, this kingdom of God and entering into it because of what Jesus did through repentance and faith. In the, in the early days, for those of you that are new to the faith and new to following Jesus, you'll, you'll have many questions on what it means to be a part of this kingdom. But the reality is, once you're in, so to speak, you get to experience and grow. And the Holy Spirit's primary work in your life is to make you and to shape you and to mold you and to fashion you into the kind of a person that God will use in this kingdom, use in this world. It's quite mysterious. There's this interesting passage in Matthew chapter 6 that talks about our relationship to the kingdom of God. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In a sense, we're to seek the work of God in the world, and to be a part of it. I asked you earlier, can you see the places in your life that God is working? Do you see those places? Or are you one of those that tends towards focusing on what's not going right in your life? Do you know that? I think we all slip into seasons like that, where we, we tend to focus on what's not going right. And I'm always tempted to do this when somebody comes up to me and says, Russell, how are you doing? How's the church going? How's your family? How's this? How? And, you know, my, sometimes I, I'm inclined to think about what's not going good, where it feels as if God is not working and not moving and not blessing. But the reality is we ought to look for the places in our lives where God is working. And these are places where the kingdom of God is evident. Now, God can certainly work in tough times too. 
We're to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I want you to think about this. Where is God working in your world? Where can you see evidences of the kingdom of God? Is it in a relationship? I hope so. Is it he's using you to take the message of the kingdom of God to people that have never received it? Where are you seeing God work in your world? More on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, I think this is important to understand how the message of the kingdom of God goes forth. It goes forth through the local church. The local church is the, is the place, the sending place for the message of the kingdom of God. So if you're at peace with the king in the kingdom, you are used by God to proclaim the same message that was proclaimed by Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the most important message you have. Because the message of the kingdom of God is so valuable, it, it's worth your life. So the kingdom of God is not only the church, but it includes the local church. God's working all throughout the world, not just in the local church, but he's working in places that the local church has not even begun to touch. The message of the kingdom of God, a powerful, strong, mysterious message that God is working in the world. And Hebrews tells us that this kingdom will not be shaken. It will not be stopped. God's plan to restore people to himself through Jesus Christ will not be thwarted. It will not be. Jesus had a message. Not only did he have a message, but he had miracles. Jesus was more than words. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I found that talk is cheap. There were other people that claimed to be Messiah, claimed to be the Savior during this time, but they slowly fizzled out because maybe their message was strong, but their miracles were weak. They were unable to uh, affirm the power of their message by a demonstration of God's power coursing through their veins. But you know, as messages, they, they certainly created questions among the religious leaders. They perplexed the in, intellectuals and invited the marginalized. But he was more than talk. And the Jews were waiting for someone to come as king and be more than talk. He was certainly was different. You know what Jesus did? We see this in the Gospels and the way, especially Luke, the way he writes his Gospel. It's, it's, it's telling us that Jesus had authority over all things that seemed bigger and supernatural and more powerful than anything on this earth. So Jesus came and he healed the sick. He healed the sick. The message of the kingdom was more than words. It came in power. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which is what? Repent and believe 
kingdom is at hand. Healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He was more than words. You may be here and you may be skeptical about who Jesus is. You should know that Jesus came with more than words. He came with power. He healed the sick. I bet if we were to go around here and I were to ask you how many of you have experienced some kind of supernatural healing and you've prayed for God to work in your life and and, uh, he's chosen to do so. That's the power of the kingdom in this world. Not only did he heal the sick, which was quite incredible, and in this time during the first century, there were many, many sick people. Many sick people. The healthcare system was really broken, especially among the Jews. Not only did he do that, but he also calmed the storm. He had an authority over creation, over nature. It seemed as if his message, the message of the kingdom, included great acts of authority over things that seemed broken in the fall. Disease entered because of the fall. Jesus declared authority over those by healing them. Creation was broken. Jesus declared authority by calming the storm. Mark chapter 4, verse 39. It's a story you may have heard where Jesus is with his disciples. They're out on the water. The storm is coming. Jesus is actually sleeping. The boat is filling up with water. And the disciples wake him up. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39 begins. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They recognized that Jesus was different. There was something about him that was more than words. I wonder how many of you here, and you're new to this whole idea that you can be at peace with the king and the kingdom, or you can be a child of God, and what frustrates you about Christianity and Christians that you know is they seem like they're all talk. Something you should know about Jesus is he was more than words. His words are important, and his message is important, and it's powerful. And the the words of his message have the power to transform lives. And the words of his message reach to the sick, and reach to the the storm, reach to creation. He was more than words. Jesus can change lives. And if there's any one thing that revealed that Jesus was more than just words. And his message was powerful and strong. It was the way in which he dealt with demons. The Bible says that there is a battle happening in the spiritual realm. That our activity in this life is not just flesh and blood. There's a battle going on in the spiritual realm. But when Jesus came on the scene, he declared an authority over even what happens in the spiritual realm like cast out demons mark chapter 1 verse 39 
and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He had an authority. With his words, his spoken word, there was great power to deliver people from demonic influences. Jesus was more than words. The way in which the New Testament authors, particularly in the Gospels, talk about him, reveal that his message of the kingdom came in power. His life revealed that he was more than just a man, that he was fully God. Which is why we worship him as Lord. Which is why we gather in his name. And here's the thing about Jesus. Whenever you're invited by him to be at peace with the king as a part of what God's doing in this world, you get to experience the blessings of that in this life. What is it? Romans tells us it's peace and joy and uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You get to experience that in this life. You can have peace in the midst of the storm. But not only that, but you have a hope. That there will be a day when this life is over, when the kingdom of God will be fully consummated and all that's broken will be restored. All that's been touched by sin will be judged and corrected to suffer the penalty that it's due. So you ask the question, how does one enter into His kingdom. Repent. Turn away from believing that your plan works. Turn towards Jesus. We saw that in the fall, what Adam and Eve did was they chose their plan, evil's plan, over God's plan. What I'm telling you is that if you want to be at peace with the king in the kingdom, repent from believing in your plan. Trust God's plan. Turn away from your sin. Turn towards Jesus. And now, for many of you, you have done that. And you are at peace with the king of the kingdom. And I would say to you, there's great peace there. You don't have to continue to strive to enter into the kingdom. You're there. You're a child of God. And once you're a child of God, you're always a child of the king. So what do you do? Do you just sit back and wait? Do you sit back and wait until the kingdom of God is fully consummated and and fully realized? No. You allow God to shape you and to mold you and to make you. You allow your life to be be crushed and rebuilt as you enter into God's word, living word, so that you can be the kind of person who not only has a message to speak to people that aren't a part of the kingdom, but has a life that models it. This is what you do. You join God's mission in the world. Does God need you? No. His plan will not be thwarted. It's going to happen with or without you. Does he want you? Yes. Which is why some of the last words of Jesus are to go into all the world and make disciples. Make people who will follow Jesus as a king in the kingdom. This is what we're doing as a church. This is why we began this church, is to invite busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. To be people who are at peace with the King.